Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be a fun episode with my friend Frank Sanders of Alaskan Trophy Outfitters. And I want to thank him for his friendship. I also want to thank him for the hunt darn I had for Mountain Goat uh, last late summer. Uh, Dar ended up getting a mountain goat and uh, we had a, a really fun adventure uh, and um, it's always it's always fun to talk to Frank about some of the experiences he's had and guiding in Alaska for 25 years and hearing about some of the brown bear hunts and and uh, so, some of the moose hunts and all of the different adventures. Uh, you can check out his website at alaskatrophyoutfitters.com and I look forward to that. Before we get into the episode, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider and remind you guys that you can get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card if you sign up now uh, by using the, the uh, J. Scott promo code. And all you've got to do is go to GoHunt.com uh, forward slash J. Scott. And um, you can follow the prompts from there, and that's going to get you $50 in that Go Hunt gear shop. And also want to remind you that Go Hunt is uh, doing a giveaway, and that giveaway is basically uh, 12 days of insider giveaway. Uh, they're gonna there'll be 78 winners this month with a total value of $16,500 in gear being being uh, shelled out or dished out. Uh, you've got to be an insider uh, member to win, and you can check out this giveaway schedule December 11th. A uh, pair of Vortex binoculars on the 12th. Two insider members will win a Garmin Montana uh, 610 GPS. The 13th, three insider members will win an MSR fly tent, a fly light tent, uh, and then four winners, five winners, six winners. In other words, you get all the way to the 10th of December, or excuse me, the 10th of December, there'll be 10 winners of uh, 10 Black Diamond Storm headlamps. Uh, they're giving away Yeti coolers. They're giving away uh, Sunto uh, Core All Black Knives, sleeping bags. Uh, backpacks, all kinds of stuff. You got to be an insider uh, member to win this gear. I want to thank Go Hunt uh, for their sponsorship. They've been with me from the beginning of this podcast, and we've uh, got a great relationship with Lorenzo uh, Sartini and Chris Porter over there. Uh, they've got a great staff with uh, Brady Miller and Brandon and, and Trail Kreitzer and, and the rest of the group. Uh, but check them out. Go on gohunt.com forward slash jscott. Uh, if you want to research all of the western states, uh, they have the best resource for all of the different animals that you want to hunt in each state and breaking down the draws and harvest statistics and data and such. So check them out. Also, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Jason Harrison, thank you for your sponsorship for this podcast. Uh, Cheston Davis over at phonescope.com. You can use the JSCOT16 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, on any of the PhoneScope products. Uh, that's what I digiscope all of the videos that you see on my Instagram. Uh, those are all shot with a PhoneScope uh, a digiscoping adapter. Uh, you get a 10% discount if you use the JSCOT16 promo code. And then last but not least, the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, Cody Nelson and his group there in Arizona, uh, the Optics Authority, uh, use the JSCOT 
promo code when you call in or on the website uh, and you're going to get a 10% discount. The phone number there is 1-800-291-8065. I always appreciate having Cody on the podcast and bringing his expertise and knowledge on optics and glassing and hunting gear uh, to the podcast. And uh, guys, uh, really appreciate it. Uh, record numbers the last couple months. Uh, it's totally uh, I'm, I'm totally indebted to you guys for being so loyal. Uh, I get emails every day, uh, direct messages every day, and, and I just uh, really appreciate the interaction I, I have with you guys. If you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along our other adventures on my Instagram account, jscottoutdoors, and you can send me a direct message there. So I love seeing your videos, love seeing your pictures of successful hunts, and love getting any questions or comments. Uh, feel free to, to, to reach out there. And uh, let's get right into this episode with Frank Sanders. And I actually got to add one more thing to all you U of A uh, Wildcat fans out there. Uh, get a whole year now, 360-some days of getting to rib every single one of my U of A Wildcat buddies that the uh, Sun Devils uh, put a whooping on you. And um, it's not always the case that I can do that, but certainly we won the game, and so I've got a year's worth of bragging rights. And um, we'll see what this new coach can do. Uh, you know, four, four out of six wins in the U of A with uh, Todd Graham. I was kind of a little bit uh, suspect of the move. But uh, anyway, um, I know uh, you guys are probably biting your lip right now listening to me give it to you, but uh, it's not often that the Sun Devils get to, uh, that I get to brag, but Brian Rimza and Eric Forrest and Ryan Eustace and, and uh, a bunch of you other knuckleheads, Chad, Chad Converse, uh, uh, you know, you deserve it. You deserve every minute of ribbing that I can give you. So hope you guys are doing great. Let's get right to this episode, guys. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got my friend Frank Sanders out of Soldotna, Alaska. Frank owns and operates Alaska Trophy Outfitters. And uh, Dar and I uh, were fortunate to go this uh, late summer uh, with Frank's uh, outfit and do some mountain goat hunting. And I want to have a good chat with Frank today. We've got the Alaska deadline December 15th to apply in Alaska. So Frank, let's, t let's do some talking about Alaska. How you doing? Good. Good. Sounds good. I, um, yeah, it's right around the corner, so not too far out. So first and foremost, um, let's just get some of the specifics out of the way. So in order to apply in Alaska, uh, anybody can apply, but you have to have, I believe a hunter safety card, but there's a ton of hunts that are not by, um, in, in essence, you can just put in for it. Some you can draw with, you know, uh, relative, you know, pretty easy, and some are harder than others. Why don't you kind of go through how the Alaska draw works? Yeah, what it is is obviously, you know, there's multiple species that we have, like a lot of places. Some are open hunts, some are registration hunts, and then what we're speaking of right now, obviously, is the draw hunts. And the draw hunts... Um, there are certain species, uh, sheep, mountain goat, and grizzly bear, where most of the hunts now, and I think it's all of them, they've been changing it over the last couple of years, kind of tweaking it, um, 
what that requires is a person to have what they call a guide client agreement. And so what that relates or translates to is, you know, Jay Scott wants to go, you know, hunting Kodiak brown bear. Well, what happened in the past is guys had put in for the hunt and draw a tag, and let's say, you know, like my area only has three tags, and then they'd find out, you know, hey, this isn't, you know, a bargain basement hunt. You know, these hunts are upwards of 20000 if not plus, and they wouldn't use it. So what the state's done is required this guide client agreement. And essentially what that means is, you know, Jay wants to go, so he talked to Frank. Frank sent him the form. They fill it out. It's, you know, no pun intended. It's an agreement between the two that says, you know, hey, if Jay draws this tag, he's going to hunt with Frank. And so, like I said, that's now required. It hasn't been in the past, but it's now required for mountain goat. Last year was, I think, the first year, but it's required for mountain goat. It was required for sheep and one of our specialty units, 14C, for multiple years. And now it's actually, I think, all of our sheep areas for non-residents to apply. Um, now, in, in essence, Frank, was it one of these deals where, like, people were drawing and they realized how much the hunt cost so they didn't even go? And it was almost the game and fish probably felt like they were taking opportunities away from guys that actually wanted to go. So they wanted to absolutely. make it a little more for formal so that, you know, that there was some vested interest on both parties between the outfitter and the hunter that, you know, so that the, the resource could actually be utilized. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it came from the game and fish and it also came from the guides because, you know, as I mentioned, my area has three tags. And so... Um, and there's a couple guys that hunt it. It's, it's not an exclusive area. And so, you know, when you've got a guy who can, who can get a tag, you know, or somebody draws a tag and doesn't use it, you know, that's quite a, that's a pretty chunk of change, you know, that we depend yeah. on. And so, yeah, yeah, like you said, it ensures that, that it gets used. Okay, so tell me the animals that guys could just call you up and go hunt without a draw and or it's a draw, but it's a very liberal draw where they could almost get a tag every year. Um, probably let's start there with some of the, some of your hunts that guys can just call up and immediately book. Typically what we've got, we've got a couple brown bear areas. My one, um, my primary area on the Alaska Peninsula for brown bear, that's over the counter tag. What they've done there is they just limit the time frame. You know, it's a small time frame every year. Um, black bear they can do. Moose, we do a very limited amount of moose hunts. Uh, we do two this year. And um, and then as far as the draw stuff, there is, there's not a ton in my personal units. Now, people need to understand that as a guide, we're allowed to hunt three specific areas in the state. Um, and as far as the ones I have, there's not a lot of my draws that are really easy. Our mountain goat odds with the I'll regress just a hair. Last year, they changed the application process where we could put in six choices and we could put all six in one one hunt. Um, my mountain goat odds have definitely improved dramatically. Uh, and that's where Star and I put in. You thought we had like a 20% or maybe it was an 8 or 10% chance to draw, and it turned out because you were able to put all six choices in for us in that specific unit, you said they went up to like 70-some percent. Yeah, I mean, I essentially, I think, my memory serves me right, which it doesn't always. I think I got eight tags for 11 applicants, and um, yeah. and we hunted, hunted seven of them. One guy was in a motorcycle accident, so obviously he couldn't make it. 
But, um, but yeah, it, you know, prior years, I'm putting in 10, 12 people and getting two hunters, you know, maybe three hunters. And uh, so, yeah, it did go up significantly. Now, do you think with, with the change last year, was how much of it was the other outfitters maybe hadn't caught on that you could apply all six in a specific unit? Or do you also think that it's one of those things that this year your odds for mountain goat will be much better as well? Like, like it's, it's a change for your purposes for the good, or, or is it, do you think it was just a one-year deal that slipped through the cracks? No, what I think is with, with our area and the reason I say this is because I've asked fish and game and I hammer them and I'm always asking questions. There's 32 tags for the one area that I hunt, the area where you guys were, and typically less than 50% of those people report hunting. You know, it's mandatory to report, you know, whether you hunted or not, whether you're successful, check in your mountain goat. And so what I think was happening is prior to this, you know, being able to put six choices, we could do three choices, but like most any other state, it had to be three different units. And in my pea brain, what I think is people put in for obviously, you know, the area they want first, first choice. They, um, they put in for, you know, hey, I heard this is a good area choice. And being that it's only $5 to apply once you have your license, they would just throw a third choice in there. And I think what happened is once they got it and they realized the cost and logistics of getting to actually where the goats are, you know, it just people didn't hunt. And uh, so with that taking place, those same guys, now whatever that first choice was prior, I think, you know, obviously put in for that and, and put, you know, all six, uh, all six choices in there. Yeah. So, you know. So in other words, you think the odds will still be pretty good if people want to go mountain goat hunting, if they contact you, pretty good chance pretty good chance they're going to draw. I, I would say so, absolutely. Absolutely. They, um, you know, because I've talked to other guys, and they had similar experiences, um, you know, and kind of true to the theory that I think is right is that um, the areas that they had, the more the logistically tougher they were to get to and the more they cost to get to, the better their odds of drawing. You know, because, yeah. like I said, hunters looked at it, and, you know, that was typically what I think was their third choice. Yeah, and one thing that I thought was pretty neat about Alaska is the mandatory reporting. And, and even, I think you were telling me that if you don't report, even if you didn't go hunt, if you don't report, I, I want to say there's a penalty you can't apply or there might be a multi-year penalty. What's the scoop of that? It is. It's a, if you do not report, you know, they'll give you a, they'll typically send you an email, let you know, let you know, you know, they'll do what they can in their power to notify you. If you do not report, you're not eligible to apply. I want to say it's the following year. I don't know if it's anything after that or not, but I do know it's at least the following year. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, yeah, gotcha. now, guys. I got to, I got to bust your chops a little bit. Um, so Dara and I went in with the because, Joe. Because, because you guys were the, uh, the, the odd man. Everything went pretty good this year. <laughs> went off more or less without a hitch until, until of course, you guys show up. <laughs> and we would argue that, uh, you know, we, we probably should have warned you of that ahead of time. Um, uh, 
we heard we heard you guys' plane, what we thought was you guys' plane coming in, and we had that huge weather that had come in, and then you guys, I think, were able to come in after that storm, and you guys banged them up pretty good in a different area. Um, didn't you guys kill five goats? Didn't you go five for five or something like that? We did. We did the three. And a couple pretty yeah. good ones, too. Yeah. We, um, you know, as you guys know, uh, you know, after your debacle there, we came in and, I mean, in a couple days there, we shot three really good billies. Um, I want to say one was over nine or ten years old, uh, nine and a half inches, heavy broom back. One was nine and three-eighths, and one was right at nine and a half. Um, all good heavy goats those first few days. And then on turnaround, we brought in a couple bow hunters. And our guy, one guy was a bow hunter. Um, and he ended up, what did he get? He got a nice, about an eight and a half inch brilli. Um, and then his buddy, he shot a, uh, shot a goat, I think on day, day four. They got pretty beat up with weather. Um, I got really lucky you know, being that I only went in for the one hunt because I was leaving to do a, a moose hunt. And, um, but yeah, we killed some great goats for sure. Like, so you know, um, it was, it was an awesome experience going to Alaska. I had never been and darn, I had never been. And we were somewhat like a fish out of water coming straight from the desert, you know, going there and, and, but just had an unbelievable time. The scenery was fantastic. Um, just a really neat experience. I don't know if I told you, but um, uh, when we got down to the um, shoreline there, kind of in that bay, and the, the, there were salmon tender, ten, tending boats or tender boats out there that we kept seeing yeah. and stuff, and um, you'd see salmon just kind of, you could glass down there and see salmon just jumping out there in the water, and we got right. down and we were hot, and we had like three hours or so until the... Um, a plane was coming to pick us up, and it was just this nice sheltered cove that was all just kind of calm, and and we were hot, and I'm like, man, we ought to just dive in here. And we're sitting there watching these salmon jump, and I, I said, Joe, um, are there ever any killer whales here? He's like, well, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know why there wouldn't be. He goes, I don't, I don't know that I've seen them right here myself, and darn are kind of sitting there and like we're sweating and we're hot and you know but it's not it's not like waves crashing it's like like calm like a lake and i'm just looking out there i'm like man it's so good to just swim around Doug goes, i'm gonna pass so we make a long story short we pass the plane comes picks us up and we go taking off and we just get in the air and the pilot banks really hard and goes look down killer whale and I mean, not more than about 100 yards, 150 yards offshore. Maybe it was further than that, but it seemed like not very far. Here's a killer whale, and um, probably a good thing we didn't go swimming. Right? You know, you see orcas out there quite a bit and, you know, and around in those areas? We really do, especially out in that area, all the way from, you know, from the point where you guys were all the way to Seward. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously we shouldn't be swimming with them. But the other thing is that you see is a salmon shark, which is in the same family as a great white mako. And, um, I mean, they're called the salmon shark because that's what they, you know, feed on. And so people have always joked about it. And I said, hey, you know, once they see a picture, and they're like, 
that's a great white. I'm like, no, it's a salmon shark. They don't, they don't get the size that the great white does. But, you know, we've caught them but fishing, you know. Enough to keep you feet. from swimming, for sure. <laughs> well, at least, to, at least to keep me and Dar from swimming. I'm not sure about you. <laughs> no. uh, the other thing that was, uh, there was a ton of jellyfish in the water, too. Yeah. That cove, or that, that whole, not just that cove, that whole six, seven mile hour, or six, seven mile bay, um, just gets loaded with them, and I don't know what it is. You know, we were in there this spring bear hunting, and uh, it's really shallow at the end. So when the tide goes out, you know, it might be, it might move at 600 yards, and it is just chock full, more so than I've ever seen anywhere else. And I don't know, I don't know enough about it. Um, I saw it on Prince of Wales back in the 90s. That's the only other time I've seen that many. No. That's, a, that's a good question to ask you. Like, and I know we talked about it on our prior podcast last year. I think we did one in December before the draw. Um, when did you start in Alaska? And give me a little bit of history on your love for Alaska. You know, once you got there, you know, what made you stay? And, and um, you know, it, you've been there now for 20-some-plus years, right? Yeah, I came up, I started in 1990, um, I went up in 1990, 1991, and I was working on Prince of Wales, and um, a friend of mine was doing the bear hunts, and, you know, invited me up, and, you know, obviously I loved it, and I um, I took my, what, six or seven years in college, like all of us should, and while I was doing <laughs> that, I went to work for, you went took to work your time. for us, right? <laughs> well, I bounced around a little bit, and... Uh, but I went to school um, up in Oregon, and I was actually working for a company called Oregon Bow Company at the time, which turned into Horizon, which in turn turned into Bowtech. But, you know, I was with them, and during that last change from Horizon to Bowtech, of course, the one that was successful, they changed hands again, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to Alaska. I'm going to see, you know. My, my theory was, you know, I'll try it. I'll see if it works. Um, I had some property and a house, and I made my payments for a year, and I thought, what the heck? You know, I don't ever want to look back and say, God, I wonder what would have, or, you know. And so I um, loaded up a truck, my girlfriend, my dog, and we drove up, and that was 20, 21, 22 years ago now, I think. And so Alaska's, you know, it's been good to me. It really has. Yeah, it's awesome. So, Frank, you're really known, or, or I should say, when it comes to Alaska, it comes to, you know, your name and Alaska Trophy Outfitters, you're really known for your uh, bears and your moose. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, we, we don't do as many moose. The one area that we had where I started with another outfitter um, we didn't lose it, but the predators really hammered it. And so, you know, we've been picking up more and more on the mountain goats, um, you know, the last six, seven years, and kind of getting dialed in on them. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I say the last ten years. And so, uh, you know, between the goats, the bears, and the moose, but in a nutshell, the answer to your question, the roundabout is, um, the brown bears are really my, my, uh, my forte. No, How was your season this year? It was excellent. It really was. 
We tell me about Kodiak. You know, we hunted Kodiak in the spring. Um, with the Alaska Peninsula, for those that aren't aware, we hunt spring of even years and fall of odd. And so, and then Kodiak we hunt spring and fall of every year. But um, this year, so we just had the Kodiak hunts, and we got dealt some pretty, pretty crappy weather. But um, we had two guys. I think we shot a bear on day five. And the second hunter, he stuck to his guns. He said he wanted a giant or nothing. And he passed up three, three nice bears, um, upper eight, low nines. And he ended up getting a shot on day 10 that um, unfortunate for him. Well, I don't say, I shouldn't say unfortunate, but we got on two cameras, a, a scope cam and a regular video cam, he got a shot at a true, I mean, a slob. I, I don't say this very often, but it was a true 10-foot bear. And those are, are not common. I mean, that's your 400-inch bull. And, um, you know, everybody says they saw him, but to really make that mark. And uh, he got a shot on day 10 and, and missed twice. So that was kind of a, a bittersweet end. And then, um, then our peninsula hunts, they went really, really well really well so, so we had you have two different areas that you hunt the brown bears in and the peninsula hunts went well how, how many bears a year roughly do you guys shoot between four and six typically some years okay even even though I've got multiple camps I don't fill every camp um, and what we've got like we've got one camp that's in the mountains and what it is is stuff that drains inland towards Lake Iliamna open September 20th. There's actually three camps up there, one that we use all the time. It's, it's excellent. Um, a second one is excellent. The problem is it's such a small airstrip, and the river changed a little bit that we could not get in there this year. Uh, I knew that prior to season, so I didn't book it. And so I did a moose-brown-bear combo hunt there, and the hunter, he shot a 65-inch bull, and then... Um, he did something that, knock on wood, will never happen again. We lost our first rifle bear. 73-yard um, shot, he just, he, he knocked him over. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, don't know what happened. Uh, on the bear, on the bears, as far as, you know, looking, looking at that situation, like, what would you do differently or, you know, obviously he wasn't hit right, but is there an area that you hit him that, man, it's just you, you don't get him? You know, I, I would think that the what I see happen more often than not is guys tend to shoot him farther forward. Um, and as you well know, I mean, this is even stupid to say, you know, they're a giant animal. And I tell guys, if you're going to err to anything, err to the back. You know, a bear's lungs go back quite a ways. Um, and then there's obviously his liver and everything. I think over the years, people have got that so ingrained in their head from a lot of the old, old timers and stuff, you know, shoot him through the shoulder, break him down right there. Um, I would rather a person shoot a little bit smaller caliber with a good bullet that they're accurate with. Because what I saw... You know, when I first started this 20-something years ago, people shot with 416s, 458s, um, and they weren't very good shots typically. A lot of them were afraid of the gun. And so, you know, as far as I care about accuracy, 
I mean, the biggest gun in the world doesn't do any good if you can't hit anything. And um, and good bullets. So that's my. For sure. Um, a lot of these bears that you guys get, you know, once you get them down, how many of them, like, can you get a vehicle or, you know, Argo or something like that too, or how many of them is it just, you know, the guides packing everything back with the hunter back to camp? It's everything. Everything's on our back. You know, most all of our camps, uh, with the exception of, I think, one, we can only land with a Super Cub. And so, for those who don't know what a Super Cub is, it's just a pilot and a hunter. You know, we do the pilot guide, pilot hunter, and then, um, yeah, everything's on your back. You know, as far as carrying and it out. Are most of those hunts, are you moving and glassing, moving, recamp, you know, setting your camp, or are you kind of setting a spike camp and then glassing and coming back to camp every day, uh, you know, and then just repeating that process, or do you actually have established camps that, you know, set in there, or how does that work? Yeah, we have established camps. What most all of our camps are, um, the exception of one, we have a, what we call quote-unquote cabin. That uh, is on some native land I lease. Um, everything else is wall tents. And so, really, with most of our bear hunts, uh, with the exception of Kodiak, we do very, very, very little moving. Um, we spend literally 90, 95% of our time sitting on our rear end glassing. And these camps are, with the exception of a couple, are the same camps I started with you know, in 96 when I came back to Alaska. Um, and so it can be incredibly mundane, but it works, you know, and it's, when it's all said and done, it works. And a lot of guys, I tell, tell them that big bears are similar to big whitetails. You know, if you bump them once, you might see them again. You bump them twice, you're probably never going to see them again. And so when you go walking through some of this brush and alders to get from one spot to another, you know, everything you touch, everything, everywhere you go, you know, you're just leaving sign. And so, um, you know, I tell my guys, hey, you know, bring bring good warm clothes, bring layering clothes, you know, be ready to glass. I always bring, you know, glassing pads and all that because we really don't move a lot at all. Gotcha. Um, those bears, those, those, it's, that's just in your blood. It's one of those things that gets in there and and uh, sounds like you just love it. Right? I do. I do. I mean, there's times where, like anything we love, you know, there's times where you want to hit point break. And, um, you know, that's typically weather or, or just things not going, you know, as planned. But, um, but, you know, knock on wood, you know, with the exception of that bear that was lost and another one that was missed, um, you know, I think I've only had one other hunter that hasn't had, you know, an opportunity to bear. Well, no, let me rephrase that. That shows he was looking like my Kodiak guy. He was looking for a giant and um, passed up a few bears and, you know, never did see that that giant that he wanted. So we've been... Gotcha. Yeah. What other, what other hunts do you guys offer um, there? Essentially, you know, we do the moose, obviously the brown bear, um, we do some black bear hunts, the mountain goat, and um, and those are really only the four species that I do. We had a goat area, or excuse me, a sheep area, and I would do, I did, you know, one hunt, that's all I would do 
for a couple of years there, and they changed it to a draw. And the draw odds, draw odds are um, now they're they're freaking tough. You know, the only time I still have guys that apply for it, but typically the guys that apply are guys that are putting in for something else because you don't have to put up the money for any of the tags or license. You have to buy a, a non-resident hunting license, which is one hundred and sixty dollars, and then you can apply. And something that I should probably mention since we are talking about the draw, um, similar to Utah, when you buy a license here, Utah is good for 365 days. So, you know, if you buy it, you know, 10 days before the deadline, you can apply again the next year. Well, in Alaska, with the deadline being, you know, as we talked about here next week, you know, December 15th of 2017 for 2018, when a hunter, let's say a guy calls after this and says, hey, I want to apply, so we'll buy him a 2018 license. Well, he can use that same license to apply in December of 18 for 19. Now, if he draws in 19, he has to buy another license. But uh, right. So in essence, if he doesn't draw, though, he can get basically two for one in applying. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. Now, Frank, you also um, you actually set up fishing trips as well. Talk a little bit about uh, fishing, uh, some of the charter trips and stuff that you do. Um, I used to, uh, until 2016, I used to run um, salmon and halibut charters. I, I fished on the Kenai River, and then we fished the saltwater between Homer and, and um, the Nailchick. But now I've sold my boats. I'm still doing the charters. Uh, what I do is I set it up. I've got, you know, guys that came up like I had a group of guys, the goat hunters that actually, when I flew over you, you know, they came in yeah. and fished for three days. We fished halibut, we fished salmon, and then we went to Seward, did a combo trip, and then we obviously flew out in the field. Um, so I'm still doing the halibut trips. I can set up the salmon trips. I don't guide on the Kenai anymore. Um, what I'm doing primarily now is guiding on fly-out trips, you know, fly-out for salmon, um, we do a combo trip where guys can catch salmon, trout. Uh, a couple of lakes have pike in them, you know, for people that are interested in pike. And so, you know, if anybody's interested in that, I can definitely help them out there for sure. Nice. Um, one thing that's interesting, uh, well, several things that are interesting about you. One thing that I really like is you, you love to hunt all sorts of animals and you actually apply in almost every state, and you've, you've got a lot of experience hunting all over. Um, other than some of those animals in Alaska, what are some of your favorite animals to hunt in the lower 48? It'd be elk hounds down. Yeah. Elk's elk your favorite? Number. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, like, you hit it on the head. I mean, I love to hunt, um, you know, whether, you know, mule deer, whitetails, antelope, whatever it is. Um, but elk is, yeah, if you told me there was one animal, even in Alaska, anywhere, it'd, be, it'd still be elk. Yeah, and you're sitting on a pile of points in Arizona. Do you have your eye on anything else, or are you on the brink of drawing, you know, any other tags in Nevada or you know, New Mexico or anything? Yeah, I've got, I've got 16 or 17 points in Nevada. Um Got quite a few deer and elk in Colorado. Got a bunch of sheep in Colorado, but, you know, with the weighted point system. Um, Oregon, I think I've got 18 or 19. So I'm close in a lot of places. Um, you know, depending on what I do, I think I'm going to put in for Colorado this next year. 
Arizona, you know, on actually your advice and some other people, I, I might actually hold off with the way the with the way the weather and the year's looking. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's fine. one of those things that's dry. You know, we're like here in Phoenix, it's like 100 and I think we're 105 or 108 days now without any moisture at all. And, um, you know, what, while our fall moisture here doesn't make a huge difference, it's like if this trend continues, you know, going into the draw when we have to apply here in Arizona, you know, second week in February, um, you know, if nothing changes over, say, the next 30 to 45 days, I mean, it, it's one of those things, do you go in like yourself as a non-resident with a bunch of points and throw a big risk out there, you know, just hoping that, yeah, we get a late, you know, big, big late winter moisture or early spring moisture, or do you kind of play it safe and say, well, it's been so dry now for so long, those animals are probably stressed, you know, going into winter. Um, and if they don't, if we just have an average winter, you know, is, is that going to affect antler growth? I think the answer is yes. It would make me very nervous. Now, if I was a non-resident that, you know, didn't have many points or, you know, didn't really truly care about it, you know, shooting a trophy bull, I don't think it really matters, but um, someone in your position, I would dang sure be watching just certainly between now and February, you know, early February when the, when the applications are due, you know, you know, all of a sudden we get, you know, big giant snowstorms one after another. I think we could bail out and it, it could be, a, you know, a, a great year, um, yeah. but it's not looking good now. And so it's, I think one of those things that you just got to watch and, all the states you apply, you know, some of those different things that you just got to kind of keep your eye on. And, you know, you wait yep. so long, you, elk's such an important animal to you, you, you know, you don't want to draw on it in Arizona on a drought year, that's for sure. Exactly. And, and the thing is, I've got some other options to hunt elk. Um, I'm close to Montana. I should, you know, I think I'll get a tag. Um, you know, areas that I can draw every couple of years. And so why risk it? You know, the, okay. yeah, it is. Because Colorado was dry this year. They had a tough time in the in the unit I want to hunt. Um, they've got some weather now. You know, I actually was upset. I had a, a hunt planned in Colorado, and um, on the last day to apply, I mean, I was asking the outfitter. I'm like, hey, you know, I was going to pay him a trespass for for a piece of property, and he couldn't. He didn't have enough guys to pay the lease, so he ended up leasing it out, and I didn't get to go. Well, it ended up being a blessing in disguise. I talked to him. I think on the third, second or third day of the fourth season. And, I mean, it's 62 or 64 degrees, and the area, you're really dependent on some migrating deer, and he's like, man, it's freaking tough. And um, Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, they've had two years in a row now where, um, you know, that, that, that just really warm falls. You know, last winter, um, they're kind of in that Gunnison Basin. You know, they ended up getting some of that snow, and we're worried a little bit about winter kill, but... I mean, it is for sure two years in a row in Colorado with virtually no weather. Um, right. So, that, you know, that's an interesting dynamic that I think you got to think about in the fact that, you know, there's a good chance that the success was lower and, you know, it, it, over the next year or so, there could be some holdover animals that, you know, Colorado might kick out, you know, a couple giants for here and there just because it's been such kind of a tough season the last couple of years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at places like 70, 71, 
you know, some of those areas where, you know, typically they're, they're still getting, there's a pot full of deer there, but you know as well as I do, you know, that little bit of weather and that, you know, the cold and the snow, you know, will get those bucks down as well as the rut. And, um, yeah. I mean, you look at even Kansas, some of the bucks that they saw, I hunt there every year, and, um, you know, the rut itself was, was a little bit, I don't want to say late, but it was definitely different. Definitely different. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, getting back to Alaska, the deadline is the 15th. Um, if, if people want to apply, they need to get a hold of you right away. You guys need to come up with a plan and, um, you know, can, is there a way you send them a form so you can have the outfitter agreement? And, Absolutely. you know, is there still time? There is time. Um, you know, obviously we have until the 15th. I don't want to, you know, if given the choice, I sure don't want to wait until the 15th to do it. But, you know, if a guy's got questions or whatever, I mean, if I can email them the form immediately. They can turn it right back around. And, um, you know, once that's in place, as well as their license, you know, it's, it's really a pretty simple process. And Alaska tweaked the system a little bit this year, um, last year you had to apply six times even though you're putting the same choice. This year they've made it, you know, where you can say, yes, I want to apply six times, first choice, and, and done. So it's a little easier on, on our end, for sure. Gotcha. So from a processing uh, point of view, it's going to be easier than having to do all six applications. Right. Because last year they had some glitches in it. I'd get to the fourth or fifth one, and... You know, I'm doing the same person, obviously the same, same place or same guide area uh, or same hunt area, same number, all that. And so you're just going through it and going through it. And I bet you probably 10 applications, I got the system booted me off, and then I would just obviously have to restart it. But, um, but this year, you know, knock on wood, it's gone off without a hitch. Let's talk about travel a little bit in Alaska. Um, I was actually in Denver. We, I spent the summers in Colorado, and I flew from Denver to Seattle, Seattle to Anchorage, and then Anchorage into Kenai, uh, where Joe picked Dar and I up there. Um, on most of your hunts, is Anchorage kind of the main hub that everybody goes to or comes to, and then from there, uh, you know, depending on if you're on Kodiak or where you're at, then you take separate flights from Anchorage? Yes. You know, they can book their, there's a commuter flight, obviously, that comes down to us, and so people can check their bags and their guns or bows, whatever they may be, all the way through. And essentially, all of our hunts, except for Kodiak, will all start there out of Sobotna, Kenai. And so when people, like what a lot of people say, or they look at it, or they ask me, you know, hey, how many days is this hunt? Let's say it's just for, say, you know, a 10-day bear hunt. Well, a 10-day bear hunt is essentially two weeks, because... Let's just, you know, for giggles, let's say the hunt starts on the 20th, and we're going to hunt the 20th to the 29th, you know, the 10 full days. I ask the hunters to get in on the 18th. Um, unless they can get an early morning flight, I always tell them to get there the day prior. They'll fly out the day prior to the hunt, which would be essentially be the 19th, and then they start their hunt on the 20th, hunt 10 full days, fly out of the field the day after, you know, their 10th day, which would be the 30th, and fly home, you know, whether it's the 31st or the 1st. And so when I say, you know, goat hunt is eight days, it's eight full days. 
Yeah. I know a lot of guys say, well, it's a 10-day hunt, you know, a day travel in, day travel out. But, um, yeah. But, yeah. And I think that's important to be clear about that kind of stuff. Um, I love flying in there to Anchorage and then flying right into Kenai and Joe picked us up and, and we came back to your house. You were, you had salmon and, and uh, halibut cooking and um, your house there is awesome. Uh, you know, we were fortunate we got to stay with you there, which was really cool. And I know some other hunters um, get to stay there as well. And then you have got real good lodging there and hotels and stuff nearby. Um, yeah. Your trophy room was was uh, worth just coming to Alaska to see in itself. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many animals you got in that room, but it is unbelievable. There's not a single space on the wall. You got stuff all over the ground of your own, a lot of your own personal trophies. Um, yeah, pretty dang, pretty dang neat, neat stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you. No, I. Uh, yeah, my wife said her house is getting full now too. She said no more. So. <laughs> Now, yeah. you live some of the year in, in California. I know your wife, um, uh, she works in, in uh, the lower 48 and works in a lot in California, so you spend quite a bit of time. Um, I know you guys, you know, Southern Cal is going through some big fires right now, but you guys had some catastrophic fires by you as well. Uh, you're kind of what, Napa Valley area? Yeah, just east of Napa. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, of course, I'm out on a bear hunt. And she's down here having to freaking evacuate, but um, yeah, it was it was definitely I mean the worst we've seen. I think eighty four hundred structures lost, and I don't remember the death toll. I think it was up around forty, but um, it came very close to our house here. And um, yeah, thank God that it you know it didn't get us. There's a lot of people that sure did. Now, but drink the the. California's been in a huge, huge drought, and I'm just curious how all this plays into it. From what I understand, this last year, they had tons and tons of moisture, and, and I don't want to say they came out of the drought, but they definitely put a crack in uh, or a kink in that drought. Was it the fact that they had so much moisture that there was so much brush, and then all of a sudden, then you throw dry conditions on top of that? Is, is that the, you know, it's, is that what caused all these fires that are going on now that they had so much moisture and there's so much, you know, stuff to burn? Or is it just the perfect storm of, you know, the Santa Ana winds and all that different stuff? You know, I think it's a multitude of them. As far as, you know, what caused them, you know, they're still, the jury's still out. You know, I know that the Pacific Gas and Electric had things. There was some arson, you know, that was, you know, I... I don't know what exactly started them, but I think you're spot on as far as what fueled them. Um, you know, Northern California typically doesn't see the heavy, heavy winds like they do, you know, like you mentioned the Santa Ana winds. And, you know, you mentioned that, and that's actually, I think, what saved our house um, down in California is that the winds turned, and I think it was, I mean, I was 40 to 50 mile an hour north winds. Um, you know, we we were joking about it. I mean, it wasn't really a joking situation, but we were joking about it that why can't we get, you know, 40-mile-an-hour north winds during duck and goose season? And uh, <laughs> But, yeah. but I mean, it, it, it really it is what saved us. I mean, obviously, the people to the southwest didn't come out that well. But, um, but yeah, back to the point. It, it's a combination of, obviously, the fuel, you know, the wind, 
and um, yeah, like you said, more or less the perfect storm. And yeah. also the fact that there was, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think there was five or six actual fires going at the same time. And so it's not like, I mean, you know, I saw resources coming in from Oregon, Washington, firefighters from Hawaii, all over the U.S. as well as Australia, New Zealand. Um, I mean, these guys were spread as thin as they could freaking be spread and um, yeah. with a multitude of fires going. And now, you know, literally as we speak, Southern California is dealing with some of the same stuff and it just, you know, it's catastrophic. Yeah, it's heartbreaking for sure. Frank, what shows will you be at? Um, are you going to be at any of the shows uh, forthcoming this, this this year? You know, I'm not going to have booths at any of them. We're, we're pretty freaking booked up. Um, I'll be at the Sheep Show for a day or two. Um, I will be at some of the shows, just, you know, not, not with a booth. Um, next year, I think I will, you know, I will have a booth at the Sheep Show. I really like it. And, um, and then I'll be at the in February, I'll be at the Hunt Expo. I'll be there for a couple of days. And um, what I've done and it's worked over the years is not having a booth, but if somebody really is interested in the hunt and wants to sit down and talk, uh, you know, I can meet them, you know, go out and yeah. have a beer or dinner or whatever, lunch, whatever they want to do. And, um, you know, I think it makes a difference when you get down and sit to talk to people face-to-face, -face, for sure. For sure. You're... Um you're going to come coos deer hunting with us. Uh, how long has it been since you've been on a rifle coos deer hunt? I've never been on a rifle hunt. Right? Let me rephrase that. Yeah, I've never hunted them with a rifle, huh? You've hunted them with a yeah. the bow and shot, shot several with a bow, haven't you? And some good ones, too. Yeah, i got six or seven with my bow, but I've never, never rifle hunted. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, some people... I don't know. I've changed over the years. You know, there was a point in time where I wouldn't do anything unless it was archery. You know, I kind of snubbed my nose and, you know, and, and even wrongfully snubbed my nose with some of the animals I'd shot growing up. And now, obviously, I mean, I know we all go through phases, but, um, you know, whether I shot it with a bow or a bazooka, um, you know, the animal deserves the credit. And so, uh, so yeah. Yep. I'm looking forward to uh, having you down there and Hearing some more of the stories of, of over the years in Alaska and guiding and all that, it should be a great time. Um, we've got some great ranches to hunt and looking forward to kind of showing you around down there. And, uh, yeah, it should be, should be a really, really fun time. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I talked to uh, Kevin Lee a couple of days ago. And, uh, oh, yeah? And I, and I told him I was coming I down. I didn't know you week. know him. Yeah. So, so Kevin gave me some ammo and... Uh, Said it was one of the best hunts he's ever been on. So, oh, uh, we yeah. we uh, we've had we had such a fun time with Kevin. We called him Crash Lee because exactly. it seemed like everywhere he would go, uh, he was either coming in too hot on his quad and would end up, you know, going ass over tea kettle or crashing. Or he, he's just he's a riot. I really enjoy that guy. He's a lot of fun. Lot of fun. He's a character. He's his he's jury's out right now whether he can go or not. But he might apply. If he doesn't apply this year, he's going to apply next year for goats. And um, oh, cool. Yeah, cool. Well, good for him. That's good. It just I got a smile on my face just mentioning that guy when you mentioned his name. He's just a fun right? guy to be around. <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. even know you knew him. That's awesome. You know him. That that'll yeah. that'll make some good campfire stories. We'll have to get old Crashly on the. Uh, 
on the satellite right. phone and uh, have some I chats. Think that's the it. first thing. First thing he told me was, "Hey, they call me Crash." I said, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." I said, "You know, there's a reason. There, for some reason, Kevin, that doesn't surprise me." <laughs> <laughs> One time he was. We were glassing something, and I forget exactly what happened. Either I had a good buck, or Dar had a good buck, and but Kevin had. I forget exactly if he was in Dar's ranger or my ranger. Make long story short, we're like, well, one of us will stay here and watch him. Like, let's go down. And so Kevin, I said, drive that ranger and, you know, come pick me up or something. And he drives by the side of either my ranger or Dar's ranger. And I just remember, like, not giving enough room. And he just, <laughs> like, straight down the side and, oh, the, the funnest part, though, was his buddies uh, that were with us just giving him such a hard time, and he just big old grin, and, of course, Dar and I didn't care. We were just laughing. Um, right. But, yeah, it's always fun. That You know, that's what's fun to me about Mexico, not only the big bucks and hunting them and all that, but just, you know, some of the things that happen that, you know, we talk about later and everybody laughs and makes makes for a good time. So looking forward right. to having you down. And, um uh, I'll let you go. I know you're busy. I want to encourage okay. uh, guys to check out your website. Now, you, you told me before this that uh, any day now the new website should be released, but it's still alaskatrophyoutfitters.com, yep. uh, and um, that new site should be hitting any day now. And I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can reach you either by email or by phone, um, of course, on the website as well. Yeah, there's um, my email. There's one on the website. You can also do outfitalaska at gmail.com. Uh, it's a new one that I'm starting up with this site. It just seems to be a little bit easier. Um, the easiest thing is either call or text 907-252-7413. And, um, and yeah, just... One of those things, you know, get on the website, get the email or the phone number, um, email me, call, text, and, you know, like I said, like we've mentioned multiple times, you know, the deadline's coming up. Um, a lot of guys obviously probably wouldn't be doing stuff for next year, but if they want to start talking about the year after, you know, definitely can help them out. Right on, buddy. Well, sounds good. Well, thanks for sharing some knowledge here with us, and I uh, look forward to seeing you in January, and uh, we're going to have a great time, and uh, thanks for accommodating Dara and, Dara and I on our goat hunt and um, taking us under your wing and, and feeding us at your house. And we ha had a great time and uh, just uh, really appreciate the friendship. So we'll be looking forward to seeing you in, in January, okay? No worries. We'll tear them up. All right, buddy. Sounds good. Take care. God bless. You bet. You too.